Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Thank you so much for dropping into this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. Today, you'll get to meet Summer Lisk, an incredible woman who has dedicated her life to building up others. Not only is she strong physically, she has endured hardships that have sharpened her emotional and mental health. In this episode, Summer discusses her life during one of the hardest and darkest times while battling anorexia. So often, women are bombarded with diets and unrealistic body image expectations. During this lonely time, Summer's self-worth had been shattered. She felt isolated and was in need of sincere connection. Please listen as she shares how she rediscovered herself, her courage, and her value. Join me in listening to Summer's wonderful story on how mindset is truly a game changer. Hi, Summer. Thank you so much for being here. So go ahead and just talk a little about a little bit about yourself so our audience can get a good idea of who we're looking at today. <laughs> I'm a 45-year-old mother of three. I have an uh, 18, almost 18-year-old going to be a senior and almost 16-year-old sophomore twins, married, live in Fairfield. I'm a personal trainer and um, just love helping people. Yes. And you are, are you currently training for anything? I am actually funny. You say that I haven't told anybody, but I am going to do (laughs) another competition in November with another client of mine. So we're kind of doing this together, you know, just for fun, but because, because we both love it. So it'll be fun to do it with her. Right. That's awesome. The dedication. I think that's fantastic. (laughs) All right. So Summer, let's just dive in and talk a little bit about your childhood growing up. Okay. I was raised in a very small town, Kiyosakwa, population of about 900. I was the oldest of three girls. Um, my parents were, I mean, you know, we came from a family that both parents were in the home. Uh, we were, you know, raised in the church. I was a rule follower. I was the good girl who, you know, followed the rules. Being raised in a church, we were, you know, I think it was ingrained in our heads that, you know, no sex before marriage, you know, we did everything by the rules, by the book. So, yeah. Did you feel like that relationship that you had with your church family or your relationship with God was a pretty big part of your life at that point? Absolutely. My mom is from the South and her father was a Baptist minister. And then my father was also raised up in the church. So very much so. Yeah. So that was a pretty big aspect of your life. Sounds like. Yeah. So then let's talk about once you hit, you know, junior high, high school, what did that look like for you as far as your relationship with your friends and how that kind of looked for you? Well, growing up in a small town, like the whole town was family. 
So I always walked to my friend's house. We spent the days at the pool from one to nine, literally got ice cream. Like we lived a pretty simple life. Creek in the backyard. Cousins were actually our neighbors. They grew up to be our best friends. Grandma and grandpa right up the hill. Like it was just a very great, um, you know, small town upbringing. Yeah. And I didn't really. That sounds like Mayberry. Yeah. 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 It totally was. <laughs> Especially looking back in this day and age, you know, the simplicity of what life was back then. Right. But no, you know, growing up, I didn't have like boyfriends. I was super, super shy. Like you would not know that now <laughs> because I've grown out of that. But right. <laughs> I was super shy. I did not actually speak to many boys. If I did, it was with my head down no eye contact. I didn't have a lot of, you know, self-esteem or confidence back then. I, you know, never felt, you know, pretty or anything. So at about age 15, um, I think it was like between eighth and ninth grade, somebody told me that this wrestling like stud had this crush on me. So of course he's like the first boyfriend that showed any interest. So I, you know, was like, okay, sure. yeah. But unfortunately, you know, in a small town, this particular boy did not have a good last name. You know, unfortunately, you're judged by your last names. And he was the youngest of seven kids, you know, just just a very rough upbringing. And so I wanted to give the guy a chance, you know, so I did. He was my well, so opposite from what you had experienced. Oh, absolutely. Too. Yes. The bad boy. Super conservative. Yeah, the, and... bad, the good girl going right. for the yes. bad boy. Yes. <laughs> It seems to be a theme. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it started off, you know, pretty normal, I guess you could say, because I, I mean, it was all I knew, but he was very charming. He was very good at, you know, his sport. He, you know, paid attention to me. So with that said, at age 15, I lost my virginity. That was very scary for me. And it was very, um, I thought I was in love with him. You know, again, back, I was raised in a church and we didn't have sex before marriage. So in my mind or in my, in my head, I, I was like, okay, I had, I, I chose to have, you know, intercourse with this guy and now I have to marry him. Like, this is going to be my husband. I already had this. I had to make it okay. I had to make it okay in my mind um, for making that choice that I did. So now I'm going to marry him. So did you feel guilty in that choice then? Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I kid you not. Even during, just in that moment, I could hear my Sunday school teacher in my head. So you felt like, you know, kind of disappointed. Yeah, like, I did. Did you have a relationship with your parents that you could tell them at that point that you had done oh, this? Oh, no, 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 okay. no, no. I okay. am the perfect good girl. Oh, that's no. right. Yes. Right. <laughs> right. No, no. And you know, as a matter of fact, it was about a year later, my cousin got pregnant at the age of 15. And that was when I told my parents that I was on birth control. And yeah, yeah, I'm sure that went over like a ton of bricks. <laughs> yeah. It was like one of those things where my mom was kind of like in denial. So we didn't really talk about it. I told her, but we didn't talk about it. So yeah. Okay. So that, that probably has something to do with this feeling too, you know, not having the freedom to talk about these sensitive topics with, you know, especially your mom, that would be, that would mm -hmm. make things really difficult. Okay. So you had this relationship with this boy. He seemed to be everything that was interesting to you and different. And so you developed this relationship. So how did that progress? So after that, he started cheating and he would, he would lie to me about where he was going or who he was with. He started to get in trouble to the point of that he was on probation. 
So we had a pro- pro- probation officer, uh, mostly all through high school. Um, it became very toxic. And during that, you know, toxicity, I became brainwashed to then, you know, like I was made to believe that I wasn't going to get anybody else, that I deserved this, that um, I wasn't good enough, you know, nobody else would want me. And so that was just kind of the, it started to become the cycle. He was telling you those things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it wasn't just your brain telling you that. Right. No, he was telling me that. So while he was having girls on the side, like nobody else was going to want me. So don't even try, you know, like he knew, he knew I was going to always be there no matter what. Yeah. He knew he could always run back and I would always take him back. Do you think he knew that, that kind that, secret of your of yours where like I have to marry you now because I've committed to you physically like do you think that he knew that and yeah he knew that was a huge part yeah he knew that was a huge part using that to manipulate family I think you know yeah so I was stuck basically yeah so you're stuck in your brain yeah and Mm -hmm. did you feel like at the time you could have you had anyone to talk to like a friend or anything like that or or were you kind of discouraged from having any sort of girlfriend or Um, I had a really close friend, but it wasn't anything, I think, at 16 and 17 that you even thought you could talk to about. I think in my mind, I thought he was right. Like, I thought this was normal. I was now led to believe that this was what a normal relationship was going to be like. So for me, I don't even think I thought at that time that there was anything wrong. I just thought, okay, this is just a normal, you know, thing that I'm just going to have to stick through. Yeah. You know? until I marry him. <laughs> yeah. And so this, you're still in high school at this point then. Yeah. We're still in high school. Like this went on all through high school. Like we broke up and got back together like 10 million times. <laughs> and then yeah. as a matter of fact, it, it was getting worse and worse. Like he wasn't coming home at night. You know, I call his house. His mom hadn't seen him and you know, he was staying in different places. So I actually made the choice to go to Indian Hills and get a degree that took the least amount of time as possible so I could hurry up and get out of school so I could hurry up and get married, you know, so I could, you know, hurry up with my life or whatever. So I honestly went into a program at Indian Hills um, in the medical field, not because I was even interested in doing it or wanted to do this sort of job, but because it was the quickest program they offered, you know? Yeah. So that's what I did. Yeah. So in your mind, you were just still worried about making certain that you were in that relationship and appeasing him. Yes. So was, yes. Okay. So then moving on from that relationship, it definitely cast a shadow over your self-talk. And so how did those unhealthy aspects of your relationship interfere with your self worth and how did it kind of cast a shadow on your choices thereafter? Um, at this point I was pretty beaten down. Like I didn't have a lot of confidence and self-esteem, you know, in the, in the beginning, but this really shut me down. Like I don't remember doing much with friends. I remember so focused on him and what he's doing and, uh, babysit babysitting him basically and calling and checking on him or calling with his, calling his mom, calling his sister, going running to his house to make sure he was in bed like just insane things he made me crazy yeah and it sounds like very high stress for you and so you had adapted to this high stress state that you were living in like Mm -hmm. it was normal like you said yeah 
So yes, then, yes, just the, no, never not knowing. Right, and having to be responsible for him, even though he was, yes, he apparently needed that, which is so bizarre. Okay, so then how did this kind of interfere with your relationship with food then? Um, how did how did this all begin? Well, the whole food thing, it's so crazy how it all, all, how it all happened. So we ended up getting married when I was 21. I got out of college, moved in with him right away. Um, he still was cheating, still not coming home. I had random girls calling me, but you know, it was all I was going to get. It was, you know, this is it. And so, and we were engaged at the time. So I was going to make this marriage happen. He started like getting into drugs more. Uh, I'd call him out on it. It was just lies, lies, lies. So, so the same cycle, right? But escalating. So I married him at 21. And then, you know, I just, I did it. I married him. I did it. I'm a good girl who followed the rules and I married him. And so then, okay, yeah, I needed another project to work on. And it's crazy how this all started because my mom and my sister um, have always been into like diets and, you know, all the thing, counting their points and calories and all the things. I've never done that. I was never interested in doing that. I had been the same weight since eighth grade. So I was 107 pounds. I'm 5'2". Um, never had a weight problem. But my mom and my sister always, you know, battled it. So they were talking about Weight Watchers one day. And I was just listening to them. And I found it very intriguing, you know, counting points and measuring stuff. Like, that kind of sounds fun. Um, not really thinking that I needed to do it. But just taking it all in. And then I thought, just like, this sounds like a fun thing to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're like kind of competitive with yourself yes, like yes, at this very point. very competitive. Okay. Yes, yes. And so then I got my wisdom teeth pulled. Crazy thing, right? Okay. Got my wisdom teeth pulled and I was on a soft food diet for, you know, about a week. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to see if I've lost any weight. Got on the scale. I said 105. And I was like, oh my gosh. The scale can move for me. Oh my gosh. So that became an obsession. Because you had been that one hundred and seven yes, eighth grade. Yes, since I was fifteen and okay. I'm twenty-one now. So this was Yeah. So okay. I was like, oh my God, just seeing the scale move two pounds, I don't know. Something happened in my brain. And I thought, oh, I can lose weight. So I thought I couldn't, right? So now I know that I can do this. So I'm like, hmm, I'm just gonna start measuring my stuff like my sister and my mom. So I started measuring my, you know, breakfast and taking the same thing every day for lunch. And I, I was dropping weight. And so it just became an obsession. So then I started eating the same thing every single day at the same time because it was working for me. And I continued to drop weight very slowly. So I thought I'd throw in some exercise in the morning. So then I started, you know, losing weight faster so then I threw in, oh, I'll just walk a couple laps at lunch, you know, after my lunch. I'll just, you know, twice a day. Yeah, I, I, you know, this, this is fun. The weight was dropping. So then I added a third, third time, you know, at night. I would come home from work and then I'd go on another run. So I was working out three times a day and I was eating the exact same thing measured out every single day, which was about 800 calories. And, you know, at first it was just, oh, if I could just get to 100 pounds. Then I was like, ooh, double digits would be fun. You know, this was all a game mm -hmm. to me in the beginning. It honestly was. And it was also something fun because I never knew if my husband was going to be home at night. And it was something I could control. Yeah. 
And it's something that you, it almost seemed like it was a positive thing. Oh yeah, it was so you know, fun. Like this is a fun thing that I can do and I don't have to worry about my husband being who he is. You think that you're, did you feel like you were doing yourself a favor, like investing in yourself? Is that kind of what it felt like or? It felt like that in the beginning. And then it felt like, you know, it was all about control. And then it was like, okay, if I could just now get somebody's attention. I didn't know whose attention at the time. Maybe my husband's, maybe my dad. I didn't know. I didn't know. But maybe if I kept that good girl image and looked perfect on the outside, this net, my life was perfect. Maybe I could trick my parents into thinking my marriage was perfect. Yeah. And they wouldn't know I was hurting. Yeah. Because that is, that was the thing that you could control. You couldn't necessarily control your outside circumstances, but absolutely. So when did you notice yourself beginning to think about food or activity in an unhealthy way? Did it seem normal to you that you were, I mean, in your brain, was it like, yeah, no, that's okay. I'm working out three times a day with 800 calories. Well, it wasn't until I was probably, I think 90 pounds and I started to walk through the grocery store buying less and less. Like I couldn't, like something in my head was telling me I wasn't allowed to buy certain things. I couldn't eat certain things. I couldn't, um, I started to get really obsessed with buying my coworkers their afternoon snack. I used to become so obsessed with walking to the gas station and getting her regular Mountain Dew and Snickers and delivering that to her and watching her eat it because I couldn't do it. Like, I wasn't. So that was satisfying for you to be able to watch someone else eat something that you couldn't. Yes. Yes. Cause all of a sudden I had these rules, rules in my head that I had to follow. So I was not allowed to eat the cookies or eat, you know, anything forbidden. Well, in my mind forbidden. So then what were the repercussions for you in your brain? Like, let's say that you did have the desire to eat like a cookie or something, something that wasn't on your list. So what would you do to yourself? Like, was it a, did you punish yourself then if? So what happened was once I got to a certain weight, I just, I had this terrible fear of getting fat. Like in my mind, if I ate one cookie or something, it got to, it got so obsessive that I would go to the gas station. I would be so hungry and I would go to the gas station and get a diet seven up. And this is when I knew tricks were being played in my head because I would check that can 10 times before I'd even pay for it to make sure it still said diet because I kept thinking I was being tricked into eating or drinking something that I couldn't have. Because if I did, I would wake up the next morning and be 300 pounds. Like I, I knew in my head this w wouldn't happen, but at the same time I didn't, I was so scared. The crazy irrational fear of, Oh, so in your brain, what, what would be the, I mean, being overweight, being fat, that was a thing that you were very worried about. So in your brain, what did you, did you think like, okay, so what if I am fat? Like what, what would the, what would that mean for you then? Like, I don't even know. All I know is I had this good girl, perfect, pretty, whatever titles I was, was put on me growing up. Like I felt like I had to live up to this image and I couldn't be less than. Yeah. You had to maintain that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then, you know, it got to, you know, 90 pounds and 80 pounds. Then I was like, okay, people know me at this weight now. I can't be more than this or they'll talk about me. Like if I gain weight, then they're going to talk about how I got fat. Like now I have to, now I have to be this weight and I have to be this person. Yeah. 
Well, and thinking about what you said about the diets that your mom and your sister were on, they would be on like, you know, different diets. Um, I know in a previous conversation we had, we kind of talked about how that is a thing. People diet and instead of viewing food as a tool to survive, it's either restrictive or, I mean, binging. So it, it doesn't seem like there's, and especially for women, I think it's really unfortunate that women seem to take on the idea of food in an unhealthy way when I don't really rem I don't really remember any man in my life growing up worried about his food intake or looking a certain way or feeling a certain way. It's only been the women in my life, um, you know, going from diet to diet and not necessarily like, you know, that cyclical, but yeah, we have a tendency as women to kind of view food in an unhealthy way. And I don't know how to, I mean, you, you have a much better idea than I do, but like how to kind of break that cycle because it, it can, it can lead to really, really terrible mindset, dark places. Yes. And that's why, and that's why I, I do what I do to this day is my mission is just to get women off diets. It's just truly loving their body and the skin they're in and who they are. And it know, takes a lot of knowing that there's so much more than right, that because it's not, it's not about the food. Like you said this in a conversation that we had earlier, it's not about the food. It's all mental. Mm -hmm. If, if we could just identify what it, what's going on in our brains that is causing us to have these unhealthy thoughts about ourselves and the way that we fuel our body. Um, that would really change things up. Okay, so then Summer, let's talk a little bit about how far you know down the rabbit hole you went then. Um, I, I went from 107 pounds to 76 pounds in uh, like basically one year flat. And you know, I hit a lot for my parents. I didn't come around them a lot. I didn't want them to know that I was hurting and that I was crying in my bed every night, not knowing if my husband was coming home and you know, uh, asking God, why, like, why is this happening to me? And why me? And, you know, then just being, you know, and then going to, to bed every night crying because I was starving and I couldn't eat and I was so hungry and I just wanted to go to sleep. And then it got to the place where I just wanted to disappear. You know, I didn't care how I didn't want to die, but I wanted to disappear. Does that even make sense? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I just, I just prayed a lot and asked God, why, why, why? I just didn't understand. Well, it makes sense that you would want to, I mean, start over because you wouldn't have the previous, you know, the preconceived ideas about your body image that you, you know, were thinking that people were expecting from you and you wouldn't have this husband who was treating you so horribly, but you know, you would have to, you wouldn't have to hide anything anymore. So right. that does make sense. Yeah. So then it, I had finally seen my dad of about the end of this end of like an, it was in August sometime. And he was alarmed and was like, you need help. And I was like, no, I don't like, I'm totally in control. I I've got this under control. I'm super healthy. And I eat, I thought, you know, anorexics don't eat and I eat. So what's your problem? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I um, basically had him convinced that I was okay. And he basically told me, I'm here for you when you're ready. And I, you know, I think you need to go to the University of Iowa's, you know, eating disorder clinic. And, you know, he, he told me all the things he knew I needed to hear, but it, it, I needed to process it in my own time. So a few more weeks went on. And at this point, I was really dropping weight pretty fast. 
and it was kind of scaring me. It was scaring me on a lot of levels. Like my heart was doing weird things and I was just so, so, so obsessive. And I was, my body hurt and I just knew that I could not go on like this. So it was Labor Day weekend and I had, you know, been gone for the weekend and I came to him. I think it must've been that Sunday after. And I said, all I had to say to him was I'm ready. And he, we got in the truck so fast and he drove me to Iowa city and we met with the eating disorder, the guy who runs the program. And, um, yeah, I didn't realize how bad it was until he said to my dad and I, he says, uh, put your sleeves up. And I was like, what? So he had us put our arms side by side and he said, okay, Summer, now tell me who's, who's got the bigger arm, you or your dad. And here he is like you know, over 200 pounds and I'm at 76 pounds. And I said, they're the same size. And my dad just burst into tears because he didn't understand like that body dysmorphia is real. And I did not see like in my mind every morning when I looked in the mirror, I still had fat to lose. I still had more to go. To me, I was, I wasn't even in my mind still as sick as it sounds. I didn't feel like I was even good enough to go into the eating disorder clinic. I wasn't because I wasn't in my mind. I wasn't skinny enough to be there. I wasn't the best anorexic, you know? So you had known by this point that like I, I probably definitely have some sort of eating disorder. So you, like you had identified that this is anorexia. Yes. Because of the games in my head. Like I still didn't see the body that my dad saw or that everybody else around me saw, but I could not take the mental game every single day, 24 hours. It was exhausting. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So your dad took you. What, what was it? Do you, do you, do you remember what it was that kind of triggered you to say, dad, I'm ready? I think it was just like, I got to the, I, I got scared. My heart was doing weird things and I, I was scared. I was. And did you, did you think that you were going to die possibly? Well, you know, it still wasn't, death wasn't, it still, death wasn't going to happen to me. In my mind, I still, I wasn't sick enough. And that doctor that day told us that I was two weeks from probably having that sudden death syndrome where I would just drop dead like Karen Carpenter. You know, that's how weak my heart was. Oh my gosh. And I don't, and you know, what's crazy is I went home that night before they could admit me. I had to go home that night. I still at 10 o'clock at night when I got home, went for a run, knowing that I could drop dead at any minute. I still went running because it still wasn't going to happen to me. I still, you know. Well, and it was compulsory at that point. Yes. Oh, yes. So it wasn't even about life or death, (laughs) like logical thinking in your brain. It was like, I'm, I have to do this. I have to, because if I don't, then X, Y, Z. Yes. Okay. Okay. So then what were, I mean, would you say the onset of your eating disorder was slow or was it quick? Do you feel like? I think it was once I figured out I could lose weight, it was pretty fast. Yeah. Okay. Because you had gone through, you know, three times working out figuring out all those yes. different things, eating the same number all of the tricks. Yes. Yeah. I had all kinds of tricks and I figured them out very fast. Right. So I know you had talked a little bit about, you know, you didn't want to see your family because you didn't really want for them to 
to notice or necessarily say anything, but can you talk about your, when you would eat lunch with your mom? This is just, yeah. Can you just share that? Yeah. So I would eat lunch with my mom every single day. We both worked in Fairfield. I was living in Mount Pleasant at the time, but I worked in Fairfield. So I would have lunch with my mom every day at the park and bless her heart. You know, moms just don't, they don't want to rock the boat. Here I am a grown woman. I'm 21 years old and she would watch what I would eat every single day. And then she would watch me go walk three laps as fast as I could in that 10 minutes that I had left for lunch. And you know, she never once said anything about me being thin. She would just keep telling me, Oh, you just look so good. You just look really good today. Summer, you just look so good today. She just kept telling me this every day. And I think in her mind, if she told me I look good, that I would stop. But she didn't, she, didn't she, know how knew, to something was she wrong. knew something was wrong. She did. Moms know, but I don't know what she was scared of. Like, I still don't know what she was scared of by, you know, what was she scared of by saying something to me? So she didn't. By confronting and saying, hey, it looks like you are doing, making some sketchy choices with your, with, with your. <laughs> I mean, she would say <laughs> certain things, but she just wouldn't come out and say it. Or we wouldn't just come out and talk about it. I think she well, was because, crying on the inside. Well, and that was like the pattern, you know, you had that relationship where like, you know, you had lost your virginity at 15 and you didn't feel like you could tell necessarily your mom about it or have that conversation without it being a deal. So that, that was a, that was a pattern for you. So that would make sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Can you kind of, can you just describe a normal day in your life at that point? What, what would your day look like? Well, I would wake up at six o'clock and I would go to the mirror and check my body fat. I could, you know, I did a pinch test and then I would see the fat I needed to lose. And then I would weigh myself and that would tell me, you know, whether I was wrong or right. And I would get on, do my exercise video for about 40 minutes and then I would get ready for work. And then I would eat one half cup of Cheerios with a fourth cup of milk. And that would be my breakfast. And then I would have lunch at 1130 with my mom and I would walk to her office, eat my half of pita bread with three slices of turkey and an 80 calorie yogurt. And then I'd walk three laps as fast as I could around that park. And then we'd walk back to work. And at three o'clock, I would eat an apple. I'd eat my apple. Then I would go get my my co-workers Snickers and, you know, (laughs) Mountain Dew. And that would fill me up watching her eat that. And then I would um, get home from work around five and run three miles. And then I would eat uh, lettuce and half a cup of cottage cheese. And that would be my day. And then I would be starving at night and I would allow myself a diet seven up. Yeah. And you're just heartbroken at this point of. Yeah. I I just don't even know. Yeah. Just the feeling of, I mean, did your husband say anything? No. To you about this? No, no, no. Okay. Okay. So let's, so let's then kind of go back to, um, the university of Iowa. So you're checked in and then what did that look like for you? What did treatment look like? So then I was in treatment for three months and you know, it just sucked. They just, you get in a gown, you weigh backwards every single day. They don't tell you your weight. You still, so that very first day I wanted to stay in control, right? I wanted to be in control. And 
when we had to weigh backwards, I was pissed. Like I was trying everything for them, that nurse to tell me what I weighed, but they're not, they're not telling us. And then I remember my first lunch. Let's talk about my first lunch because that was very, very scary. (laughs) So again, I'm trying to control my first day, right? (laughs) So uh, the nurse informs me I'm going to have meatloaf. And I informed her I was not having meatloaf because I was a vegetarian. I wasn't really, but this is what I was telling them. Because <laughs> I was not eating that meatloaf because that has way too much fat in it. And we were supposed to eat a salad with dressing. Well, I tried really, really hard to squirt that dressing in my napkin without anybody knowing, but I got caught. <laughs> and then the nurse informed me that I would eat the meatloaf and that she would sit there with me until it was all gone. And I ate and I threw a fit and I cried and I wasn't going to eat it. And then about, I don't know, 30 minutes into my pity party and her looking at me in the eyes going, you just might as well eat it because you're going to eat, you're going to have to eat it anyway. I surrendered and I ate the freaking meatloaf and (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh, you know what? She's my friend to this day. Okay. How long has it been? I was 21. I'm 45 now. And we still laugh about the damn meatloaf. (laughs) But seriously, that first day, I wanted to be in control. I wanted to fool them all. I thought my game was so good, I could. And I found out I couldn't. And then the second day, when I realized that my games weren't going to work at this place, I went back to being the rule follower and the good girl. And I did everything I was told. And I was one of the fastest patients to get out of there in three months. I restored the weight that they felt was healthy for me and my, you know, my body type, my body frame. And, you know, it's all determined by doctors. Mm -hmm. So when I left the program, I was 122 pounds. And, um, you know, a day in the eating disorder clinic just sucked. You know, you do a lot of therapy. You eat a lot of food. You... You're digging deep, trying to figure out how you even got here, but you're also just seeing so the struggles of everybody else around you, and it's just a really sad mm-hmm. place to be. However, it became a very safe place for me to be. Yeah, that would have, I mean, you by digging deep and looking at your history and kind of doing that self-reflection, what did you learn about yourself in that process? Oh, gosh. It's been a process up to this day. And so in that little amount of time, I started to really look at how much I was really wanting and needing my dad's attention. He, you know, growing up worked all the time. He was never home. I mean, he just worked and worked and worked. That's what they did. The guys worked, the mom stayed home. Um, My mom did go back to work when my youngest went to school, but there's just something about my temperament and my personality that needed my dad. And I always felt like, you know, I was the quiet, you know, rule follower. Um, my, my middle, the middle sister um, was the athlete. So I always felt like, you know, dad, she was dad's favorite. She was the athlete. And then there was the baby sister. So I always felt like she was the baby and she was mom's favorite. So I was just kind of, you know, I was just kind of out there because I was just the kid they didn't have to worry about or so they didn't think they had to worry about. And I don't know. I just really figured out that um, I had a lot of daddy issues that I needed to work through. Yeah, which I think 
that is, I think that's more common than we let on. And that's for a completely different episode, but I really, I really think, I mean, yeah, I, I won't go down that, but yeah, no, I think that's more common. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, so then you got out of recovery and you had, you know, you kind of done this self-discovery while you're there. What did life look like for you after you left treatment? When I left treatment, um, I actually came home to my husband then finally getting busted at work for drugs and the company sent him into drug rehab. So being the good wife that I was, I thought I would just stick it out and, you know, see if he was really going to change. And he got out of um, rehab and came back. And I don't even know if it was a month later, he relapsed. And at that point in my life, for the first time in my life, I felt strong enough to leave him and not look back. Mm -hmm. Finally. And I did. I left him. Well, yeah, you had, you had had that time to reflect and having just exited treatment for yourself, you had been reminded of your self-worth of your worth, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, so that's incredible. So, okay. So then you left left. and did you, how you felt good about it then? I did. Oh my gosh. You know, I went back, I probably, we probably broke up and I got back with him. Like I said, a million times from the age of 15 to 21. And when I left that day, like what a weight lifted off my shoulders to just know that I was not going back. Like it was such a beautiful thing. I, I can't even explain it, you know, freedom. And like, I knew I was going to be okay without him. Right. You had already mourned that loss because it had to have already felt like loss much, you know, earlier than that. So, oh, yeah. so then, okay. And you had, you know, gained the affection and approval of your dad. And so you're in a much, you're just in a much better place mentally at this point. So then, um, so then what, what was next for you? So then I uh, moved in with my parents. <laughs> we say we're never going to move back in with our parents and at 21 years old here. <laughs> but I we am. all do. <laughs> yes. It's fine. <laughs> and it was just the craziest thing because I was, uh, you know, still working in Fairfield and I was driving back and forth because they were still in Kiyosakwa where I grew up. And I got a phone call, this weird phone call from this girl that said, Hey, do you know, Sean Lisk, my brother, Sean, this is Tiffany. And I'm just like, Sean Lisk. She's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. She said, well, he, he heard that you had gone through a divorce and he wanted to know if he could take you out for drinks this weekend. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. Sean Lisk, the Sean Lisk I know would never want anything to do with me. So I still had this, you know, limited belief that I wasn't, you know, good enough for anybody, but you know, but Sean Lisk, I knew Sean through one of my girlfriends growing up dated his little brother and they ended up getting married so I had known of Sean all through high school, you know, he yeah. was just like the older brother and yeah. you know, the cool older brother. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, for, it took me a while. It really took me a while to, for her to convince me that it was me that he wanted to g- have drinks with. And so I, yeah, no, it's, <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah. So I made her go with me that Friday night um, to meet up with him. And I had to do a shot. Like I had to beat him to the bar and do a shot because, I was so nervous. I hadn't been on a date since I was 15. And um, long story short, we're still together. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. Right. Which is so wonderful. So you found someone to accept you and it was a healthy relationship and it wasn't this constant beating down. Yes. But that's another story because that was super hard for me. Like this relationship was totally different and I kept waiting for something bad to happen. I was like, this is way too good to be true. Like I just kept waiting and waiting and wow. Wow. It's crazy what a healthy relationship truly looks like. Yeah. When you're not used to seeing that or being a part of that. Absolutely. Okay. So then during this time that you were after recovery or after, um, after your treatment, did you have any like triggers or sort of a relapse into those thoughts? Like what, I mean, was that it for you? No, no, it's, it's a long journey. And I think anybody that's gone through anything like this knows that, you know, relapses can happen when you least expect it. And I think when you get out of recovery, you just, you don't even think about that. You're not really even prepared for relapses because you think you're good. You know, I beat this. Um, And in life, you know, it was good for a few years. And then I got, I, as we got married and then I started running again and I noticed my weight was dropping again. And so I became a little obsessive again, but um, my husband knew my history and he did say something. He was like, you know, I think, you, you know, taking this a little too far. You're starting to little, look a little too thin, you know, and we wanted to start a family right away. And so the deal was like, I don't want you pregnant if you're under, you know, you have to be at least 100 pounds before you can carry a baby, you know. So I was like, okay, you know, I, and I teetered. I tend to teeter on that, like on the fence okay, I'm just going to get, I'm just going to stay at a hundred pounds, you know, and then I'm going to have my baby. I mean, I wanted what I wanted. I wanted my cake and eat it too. Right. So I wanted to Mm -hmm. have babies, but I knew the rule. I knew I needed to be at a hundred pounds. So that's what I did. And so I stayed at a hundred pounds and I actually, my body fat was too low to get pregnant naturally. So we had to actually do injections because I, I wasn't ovulating. My, my body fat was too low to ovulate. So, um, we had to do injections and that's how I conceived autumn. And then I was super scared. The thoughts came back to me when I got pregnant of getting fat again, like, Oh my gosh, you hear these people gaining 50 pounds and a hundred pounds in their pregnancy. And I was not going to let that happen to me. And so it went back to that whole control thing. I worked out during my pregnancy. I controlled what I ate and I only gained eight pounds with her. She was healthy, six pound baby, but you know, I, it, it wasn't healthy. You know, I could tell people it was healthy and yeah. my doctor necessarily didn't really say anything to me about it not being unhealthy. But in my mind, I knew that it wasn't, but I justified it because nobody said anything to me, you know? So I think that is really important. I think we, as a society tend to be really passive about things instead of, you know, like you do you boo, like, which is okay to a certain extent, but I think we really do each other a disservice when we aren't being, you know, kind of assertive in our love and care for one another, which can be so, you know, devastating mm-hmm. because like what of what you're explaining right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then you have three kids though. Yes. I, I actually relapsed um, after both pregnancies. So with autumn, I got down, I got back down to 80 pounds Um, my husband actually sent me back to my therapist in Iowa city because, you know, we have a baby now and 
he basically was like, this isn't happening. So I went and started going back to that mm-hmm. um, counselor and he started, you know, weighing me again and everything. And the deal was I get, I, we wanted to have another baby. And the deal was I got back up to a hundred pounds because he knew I could, I carried, a, I carried the baby full term at a hundred pounds. So that was, that was kind of our, we agreed on that weight. That was a good weight for me. I had him convinced that was a good weight for me. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. So I got up to back up to a hundred pounds and got pregnant again, again, injections, because I still was not ovulating because my body fat was too low this should have been a sign but anyway uh, I did what I needed to do and um, found out I was carrying twins oh my gosh that was scary that was scary for so many reasons here I am 100 pounds they're talking to me about aborting a baby because of my size and I was like oh hell no like no I'm carrying both of these babies you don't know who you're messing with yeah and um but whoa, twins, I'm going to get huge. I'm going to gain so much weight. Oh my gosh. So again, okay. I know I can control this. Carried the twins full term. I gained 19 pounds, but relapsed right after got back down to 80 pounds again. And this time my dad came to my house again my dad <laughs> he came to my house knocked on my door <laughs> you have three babies you are going to die you're a walking skeleton and your babies aren't going to have a mom i don't even know i think at that point just his permission to give it up was enough because i have been i have not relapsed since that since then since that talk so you didn't go to a treatment facility after that, for that? Nope. nope. So you just made a, you made a decision like. Just like that. So how did that feel for you when your dad was there? I mean, I can imagine it would feel kind of like a sigh, like a heavy sigh, like, you know. Relief. It was relief. It was. You know, you get to a place like, okay, I have a toddler. I have two newborn babies. I have this image I'm trying to portray. Like when I had those twins, I was, I was walking I was walking a hundred miles a week. Oh my gosh. I was walking in the park to hide from society because I knew that I would be told on people would see me walking and call my husband and tell him. So I started hiding myself in the park and walking with these babies in tow. Like uh, I would log it. And I had to have a hundred miles in every week. Like that was the rule. And, you know, honestly, I was, my body hurt so bad. I was nursing twins, working full time, logging a hundred miles. And when my dad came to my door that day, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. I have permission to just stop. Because, because the approval doesn't come from you. Like that's the thing. It never came from you. Right. But now that is, I mean, if I know anything about you, you are all about self-approval. Yeah. You know, like I, I think that's wonderful and fascinating that, I mean, finally you were, it's kind of like you gave yourself, you also gave yourself permission. You're finally approving of yourself. Like you made that choice to stop. Like, even though you had the approval of your, of your father, you then like from that point on, you have been dedicated to, you know, identifying my own self-worth and 
Yeah. And I think, you know, why it took my dad that last time was Sean got to the place where it was kind of like my mom. Like he didn't want to scold me because I was a grown woman, you know, as my husband, like boundaries. Right. And well, and maybe you don't know how someone's going to react. Yeah. You know? And I think that's what you he know? was scared of. I think that's yeah. what he was scared of. And he knew that it worked last time for my dad to kind of put his foot down. I don't know. It's that whole dad thing. Ah, it's the whole dad thing. I'm still working through it, you know? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the one thing Sean did was, I mean, he's been so supportive and so wonderful. And just, you know, it's hard to understand an eating disorder, you know, somebody like him to understand my world. It, you, you can't explain it. You don't, you don't understand it. It's, you don't. But he knew that every single morning at like 4.30 in the morning, I'd get up before, like I would get up and nurse the twins and I'd go for my run. Then I'd come home and like the cycle. Right. And he knew how hard that first day was going to be for me. And it was like 4.30 in the morning and he knew I wanted to get up to exercise and he just put his hand over on my leg. Like, it's okay to stay in bed today. You know, it's just that, just knowing that you have permission mm -hmm. from your spouse and your dad, like, it's okay to just relax today, you know? And that was kind of the first step of breaking that cycle. Because you'd... One step at a time. Yeah, you'd been so frantic. Mm -hmm. and, oh my like gosh. manic and having to mm -hmm. make certain that you were approved by these standards that you had, which I think are uh, these standards that we live by that are unrealistic anyway, you know? Yeah. And in the eating disorder world, they're rules. Like I had to earn my showers. I had to earn my meal. Oh my. That's why I was working out three times a week. I'd earn each meal. I had to sweat enough to earn a shower. You know, if I was going to take two showers a day, I had to earn that second shower. Like I just had all these rules, you know? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Wow. So, okay. After having, you know, that conversation that come to Jesus with your dad, the final time, what, what, what does your life look like now for you? What, what's a normal day in your life now? It's, I mean, it's normal. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, not compulsory. It's not, yeah. No, like I go for a walk with a friend when I want to go for a walk with a friend. You know, this is of course not when I'm competing because that's just a whole different, you know, thing. But right. I sleep in when I, you know, want to sleep in. I sleep in on the weekends. I eat whatever the family eats. You know, I eat healthy. Uh, I would say the 80-20, you know, like I get my protein in, but if the kids are eating cookies or if the kids are ordering pizza, heck yes, I eat it because food's not the enemy. You know, I have just learned that we are so much more than what we look like or the shape of our body or what we're putting in our mouth. And I don't want my kids to ever think that food is anything different than celebrating with or fueling our bodies with, you know, eating based on our goals, never, ever dieting, you know, like, I'm just trying to teach them balance. And, you know, like I said, we eat, I eat healthy. Kids just don't eat healthy all the time. <laughs> right. Oh you my know, gosh. they see me eat my eggs, get my protein every day, but they see me eating M&Ms and cookies and, you know, in moderation, of course, or what do you want for supper tonight? I'm like, let's just order pizza. Like it's nothing is forbidden. Right. And you've been working on this for, you know, 
for years. And so it's gotta be at some point you've had to really internalize that and made it, you know, clear to yourself that food is not the enemy. It's our psyche. It's our self-talk. It's these, it's all of these external or internal sources sometimes that kind of create that negative self image that we have or, which I so love like this body positivity movement that I'm noticing. I just am so encouraged by that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, okay. So Summer, I have a couple closing questions for you. So then what would your advice be to someone who is experiencing some of maybe the same feelings of compulsion or thoughts when it comes to food or body image? That's so hard. It's so hard because I think you have to get to your own place of just... I know in a previous conversation you had said that it's so different for everyone. Oh yeah, it absolutely is. And, and that's the thing is since it's not eating disorders aren't about food, I think until you know what the person is struggling with or until you know what the deeper reason is, like you can't, you can't begin to understand what somebody's struggling with or what they went through. And, you know, just like with any other addiction, I mean, it's an addiction. It's eating disorders or alcoholism or, you know, anything like that. It's, it's not about the substance or the food. It's just so much deeper. And if we could just have compassion and just honestly listen to somebody talk or let them know it's okay to talk. You know, I had this good girl rule follow you know, image I thought I had to portray, like now I let everybody know how imperfect I am and how many mistakes I have made. And I think we need to get to a place in society where people need to know that we all make mistakes. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. And oh my gosh, humble yourself. We got to stay humble. (laughs) You know? Yeah, absolutely. I remember you would also said at one time we were talking about, you're like, you know what? The the worst thing you can say to somebody who is dealing with body dysmorphia or something like that is just go eat a cheeseburger. Oh gosh. Yes. Oh my gosh. You know how many people told me just go eat a cheeseburger. Oh my. And bless yeah. my mom's heart. Well, maybe you should just start drinking milkshakes every night. Oh God. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's not about the cheeseburger. <laughs> no for real so guys if you're listening don't that don't say that so okay so my last question would be then in not saying that so what would you say uh or advice would you give to someone who is a support person for someone who is struggling with uh food uh an addiction or um, an eating disorder definitely don't make it about food because it's not about the food i would honestly just listen to their heart because they're hurting. They are really hurting. And a lot of eating disorders happen to perfectionists. They have such a, you know, something in their mind has told them they have to be perfect, perform perfectly, be perfect, look perfect, that they're trying to keep this perfect image. And they need to know that it's okay not to be perfect. And if, if somebody could just listen to somebody's heart, and ask the questions, ask the deeper questions, yeah. that would be definitely way more um, beneficial than to make it about food or to make it about alcohol or to make it about drugs. Like it's so not about that. 
you know, they're, they're numbing out. Yeah. In those ways, you know, but it's, it's so much deeper. That's a symptom. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Summer, thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to leave listeners with today? Okay. So remember all those nights I prayed and I asked God, why me through, you know, the broken marriage, through the abuse, through the eating disorder, questioning why, like, I didn't know for a really long time why he chose me to go through what I did, but did I ever play victim? No. Did I ever feel sorry for myself? No, but I went to work and I never quit. And through the pain, through the suffering, the blood, sweat, tears, the years of counseling, I grew, I healed. I became a better version of who I was. And then after years of job hopping, years of not knowing what I wanted to do when I grew up, because, you know, I did what I thought I needed to do then. He finally, just eight years ago, gave me a platform to now help other people. So I started personal training. I've been asked by several groups to speak about my eating disorder. I get to now, 20 some years later, use my voice to help other women feel good about who they are, help them see their worth. Because guys, it's so much more than a number on the scale. Uh, I get to use, uh, I get to get in their faces every day and scream at them. No, not really, but um, that they can do two more reps, that their body is capable of so much more. And through that, they start to use that in other areas of their life. Um, I've seen clients start facing different fears, start taking more risks, quit jobs to pursue like their passions. And um, I guess so while weight, weight training is good for our bodies, it's, I've found that it's even better for our minds. So ladies, I just want you to know that whatever it is you're going through, good or bad, to keep pushing forward, keep fighting and keep believing. The darkness, the hard stuff, the mess ups, the brokenness, like that's what makes us and that's what shapes us. Also remember, ladies, <laughs> those plans that we make for ourselves. God is laughing for us are so much bigger than the plans we have for ourselves. Of course, he's going to let us fall. He's going to let us break. He'll let us hit rock bottom if needed, but he's faithful and he's a loving God. We must surrender. We must do the work. We must never make it about ourselves. We must always make it about him and he will bless us way beyond our imagination. So I'll leave you with this, a verse that's carried me through. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Right. Awesome. Summer, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Bee Podcast. You guys, Summer Lisk, I will put her Instagram handle in the description so that if you are looking for um, support, I know that Summer has said that she would be very willing to assist. Um, she has made health and fitness her life and has had struggles just as so many of us have had struggles. So Summer, again, thank you so much for being here. You guys, I will catch you next time on The Bee Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of The Bee Podcast. Make certain to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Screenshot this episode and share to your social media to bring awareness to this project. Share and join our community on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.